Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie Warmke. And today we're going to talk about the gig economy or... The pay may be lousy, but at least I have no benefits. Oh, man, you're you're really you're rolling. today. I'm already dissing it. But (laughs) we're joined today by Ryan Evans and Ryan. Welcome, Ryan. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And Ryan, you're a graphic artist. You can you can decide how best to define yourself. But I'm going to say you're a graphic artist living in the Bay Area, Oakland, California area. Former intern here at Blue Rock Station. That's probably number one on your CV. <laughs> and you're living the gig lifestyle. Is, and, is, and an all-around good guy. Yeah, all-around good guy. I, I, I wrote that down on my I sheet know. of paper here. All I right. see that. Is that pretty much describe you, Ryan? Yeah, even my, um, my girlfriend recently uh, introduced me as a handyman. Oh, um, which yeah. I, I thought was kind of flattering. I was like, oh, I'll start using that now. Yeah, but but do you have the socks? Because I've got a pair of socks that says handyman. So, oh no, I uh, you should <laughs> fax fax me some of those, Jay. <laughs> fax you. It's it's like it's like the Mason's handshake. You know, you got to show the socks to be part of the handyman guild. But wait, you're yeah. a graphic artist. You could design your own. Yeah, design your own socks. Okay, so yeah. so Ryan, tell us a little bit. I mean, aside from the handyman, tell us a little bit about what you do. And, and how you've become an expert on the gig economy. Well, currently, I'm, I'm actually working for a company. Everyone always asks, you know, are you, know, are you freelancing? Or are you working for a company? But right now, I'm working for a company. Um, no benefits. Um, but I'm on salary, and uh, I get paid time off, that kind of thing. Uh, I, I work for a company doing graphic design for apparel. Um, so socks sweatpants, <laughs> hoodies, that kind of thing, you know, embroidery, printing. I, I set up the files uh, and send them to the factory and and then they make them. And your process, you don't actually go into an office or anything. You just kind of work from wherever you happen to be. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was a, a kind of a two day a week kind of go into the office thing. But since the pandemic, we just stayed home, you know, so what, what little, I was already working at home three days a week. And now I'm just working at home five days a week. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you find rewarding about what you do right now? Um, I, I feel like right now I, I have a lot of opportunity to um, understand more about the mass apparel industry to uh, work with kind of like creative there's there's things about it that are interesting and creative, even though majority of what we do is pretty uh, uh, silly and uh, mundane. Mundane, you could you could say, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And is um, this I something have... you want to know about for future role in life? You know, I I have a wide net of interests. I think um, the the global supply chain system is pretty. It has it has a lot of potential, you know. If humans were all perfect angels, but as it's been used, it's it's pretty uh pretty terrible. Um, the effects that we can see on the environment and on people. That's why we're producing it in China, not the United States, because we could never get away with the kinds of things that they get away with in China. So, how is it working? I mean, from in your direct experience, I mean, you're the guy who designs the Aardvark underwear, right? You sit down at your computer. And they tell you, okay, we want underwear with aardvarks on it this year. 
and sure. you sit down there and decide it. And then what happens from there? Um, well, I'll, I'll wrangle together the artwork and it's rarely, uh, original, you know, I'm usually taking off of a, an image site. Shh, that's a secret. Um, <laughs> but there's, there, those are common Shutterstock, um, things like that. Um, and then I'll put together the art it scale it, um, so that it can, it will work at a particular size. Um, and then I'll, I'll call out all the colors for the factory and we use a Pantone standard. And then, you know, I'll let my boss know. She'll send it to the factory. The factory will come back with us saying there are mistakes or good to go. And they'll send it straight to um, the client. And and the factory is is where? In San Francisco or in Beijing or where? Um, you know, all over China, mostly. I mean, we have like one or two factories in other places, but uh, it's mostly in China. Shenzhen area, maybe. And then they produce it. It gets uh, stuck on a boat and ends up being shipped to uh, Walmart. Your, Walmart, yeah. <laughs> your yeah, it, we have a system. We don't warehouse any of our own stock. We just make deals with Walmart. They order, you know, a hundred thousand units, and then we'll have the factory mail it directly to Walmart stores. Well, before we get off this, because we are really ostensibly going to talk about the gig economy, but but you had mentioned something to me where you put in some subversive art sometimes in Don't, your designs. Don't you get him in get trouble? No, no, your boss isn't going to listen to this. So <laughs> go. So do That's, you? That, people bring that up all the time, uh, and it's actually kind of hard to do, given the number of eyes that are on an item. But you would still be surprised sometimes something accidentally gets through that we didn't even intend. And we're looking at it after the fact, like, wow, that looks pretty bad. Uh (laughs) And it's in the store. Okay. Well, I wanted to know what you think about these statistics. So if we talk about basically answer the question, what is the gig economy? And understand that it's estimated about 36% of people in this country between uh, well, I guess of any age, are employed in that gig economy, according to the Gallup poll, and 53, 53% are between 18 and 34. But then it seems like there's a big jump where people have left their full-time jobs and um, gone into the gig economy. Um, well, what what we really per- back up just a, just a tad. Ryan, why don't you give us your definition of what we're talking about? What is the gig economy? I mean, the gig economy, um, first of all, as a term, is is marketing spin. Um, I think that's something that that people came up with to make it seem appealing or attractive. Yeah. Um, and indeed, I mean, there are lots of great things about it. When you know, in the gig economy, ostensibly, you're an independent contractor. You decide your own hours. You make your own rules. Um, this is the very like libertarian way of of presenting it. Um, and in a perfect world, that would be that would be awesome. You know, we could we could all decide our own hours and who we want to work for and, and what jobs we want to take. But in practice, um, what we're seeing is people are actually getting siloed into uh, uh, sort of dead end jobs, um, really specific positions like Amazon delivery driver or Uber driver. Um, Oh, those jobs of which, of course, will be completely removed in, in the next five, 10 years um, by automation and, and, and self-driving cars and stuff. Um, and then, you know, also it, it does the, uh, 
the double benefit of outsourcing all costs to the contractor or employee. So now you're in charge of your own healthcare. And we can have a discussion about like whether healthcare should even be handled by an employer. Um, but if you're a driver, you have all your own car maintenance, blah, blah, blah. Now Uber is renting their cars to their drivers. So, you're, you know, we have a sharecropping kind of thing. Um, so it's probably like sharecropping. That's probably the most accurate way to describe it. <laughs> well, I was going to say the gig economy really is is a broad definition. It can go all the way from a migrant farm worker to a rock and roll superstar. You know, all of those guys would be classified within the so-called gig economy. Well, I think superstars make enough money that won't matter if they don't have. Yeah, any yeah. Benefits. I mean, there there are definitely those that are certainly loving the style, loving the lifestyle, and 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 we'll get into that. But I think it's it surprised me, as Annie had mentioned, that really um, about a third of everyone working in the United States would be considered a, an independent contractor or or a gig worker. Yeah, why is that surprising? I don't know. I just, it, it, I guess it surprised me because I hadn't thought about it. But then also younger people in, in your age group, Ryan, I'm assuming you're, you are still He's still young. almost out of that. <laughs> He's almost out of that. Right. But, but more than half of that age group, that demographic from 18 to 34 are in the gig economy. I mean, it is yeah. now well, the three, majority lifestyle. And three quarters of them say they wouldn't quit their gig job for full time. But then, you know, the the problem is there's a dark side. Right. Okay, so let's let's tackle this independently. Ryan, tell us the good side first before Annie gets us directed into why it's horrible. So so tell us the good thing about being an independent side. independent contractor <laughs> or a gig well, a gig in, uh, employee. So there was a brief time when I worked for a company as a handyman and I bring up that example because every day was different. Um, and so in a lot of ways we were like, uh, contractors or gig workers, but we had central dispatch, the office fed us jobs and we would go out and, and we would use our own judgment, um, and our own tools to figure out the best solution. And that was a lot of fun for a while. Um, uh, I think, yeah, being able to determine your own work, uh, determine the time that you want to work. You know, your weekend doesn't have to be on Saturday and Sunday. You know, if, if your friends are going on a camping trip on Wednesday and Tuesday, um, you can go with them. Um, you know, there's a lot of research that says that millennials, say, are really into intangible experiences. Well, it's probably because they can't afford houses, but. Um, <laughs> uh huh. So, like that. so basically freedom, freedom. Yeah, the freedom to decide what you want to do, when you want to do it. Another thing that was brought up in some of the advantages I read was uh, a sense of stability. I mean, which seems contrary to, to um, you know, thinking on the surface of it. But basically, you're saying, look, if I'm working, I have six, seven, eight main um, customers. That's a lot more stable than working for a company that can fire me at any moment. Right. You can work as much as you want. You don't have to, you don't have to punch in. Um, you're not subject to, uh, the mood of a boss, like a particular single boss. Um, you're, you're more working with like an algorithm these days. Mm -hmm. So then, um, let's get yeah, into the dark side. Feel, that doesn't feel safe to me. I mean, well. you can, 
it, it just doesn't feel safe. I mean, I know I'm the wrong generation, but I want to have more security than that. I want to know that every week I'm going to have what I need to pay my bills. Right. But that, you know, I think that's a, a mythology. Anyway, I mean, you always well, used to tell me, head. I know, but you, well, most <laughs> mythologies are in our heads, but, but you used to tell me all the time, you know, when I talked about leaving my job periodically, um, you would say, I would say, but what about the security? We have security. And you say, that's, that's an illusion. Okay. I'm you not know? talking about that, but it's You're like, not so, talking about me. You're talking no, about that. I'm talking in general, <laughs> in general, but I'm saying if I, I want to have something I can um, depend on, like a base amount of money that I know I'm going to earn yeah. because I, I don't really have, you know, a, a lot of needs, but I want to know that I've got those needs covered. I think it's important to say, because basically if you're a gig worker, you're basically a small business owner. You know, you were running your own business. Well, it's your body. And, the and our, our, I don't think a lot of people servant. are good at being business no, owners. No. I mean, is that fair to say, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, gig is like being a small business owner, but you're 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 outsourcing all the managerial work to a company. Yeah, you're. It's like being. I think it's indentured servitude in some ways because if you look at what just happened in California um, this last election cycle, where it Uber spent millions and millions of dollars um, to present a campaign that got people to vote against themselves. And um, isn't that the definition of politics? <laughs> Spend a lot of money it, to get people to vote against their own self-interest. It was one of the most expensive initiatives in yeah. state history, I believe. Yeah. What if they had and spent saved, that money on their drivers? You know, think right. about it. If they'd spent that money on their drivers, what a difference that would have meant to them. That's the problem. All right. Well, yeah. before we get off the upside, <laughs> right? <laughs> so Ryan, anything else, you know, in the upside? I mean, you're basically your own boss, make your own hours. You can have a little bit more security if you're good at it. I think um, to your point about security, it's it's that's unique in America because Americans are, are willing to work 60 hours a week. Um, and that means, so your security is basically, you can count on 40 hours a week, whatever you can get, you can get as much work as the algorithm will give you. And I'm, I'm again, talking specifically about Amazon or Uber or something like that. Um, but you know, if you really need to make a, a car payment, you can work another 10 hours, 20 hours, no problem. You don't even have to ask. You just do it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to interrupt uh, this. I want to remind everybody that you are listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, reminding you that it is indeed the end of the world as we know it. And thank God. All right. It's the end of the working world. And we're talking, yeah. we're joined with Ryan Evans here, and we're talking about the gig economy. And Annie's uh, dying to jump in. Yeah. So jump in, Annie. So, so one of the things that occurred to me is, Ryan, I'd like to know what you think. If we moved more to a basic income that would be given by the government, such as with um, uh, Social Security. And in other countries like Germany, it's shown to be really amazing in terms of how it spurred people into business and to actually be healthier and happier and more well and all that. But I'm wondering what you think about that idea in this country and how that might influence the gig economy. I've I've read a lot about that. Um, I I think it's it's better in a lot of ways than the system we have right now, um, because 
you know, you have a lot of these companies that are finding ways like Walmart and Amazon, they're finding ways to offload some of their costs onto uh, uh, central systems like uh, welfare systems, food stamps, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Walmart's the largest recipient of food stamps in the United States. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because they pay their workers so little, um, which is clever of them, you know, uh, uh, to their credit. But um, where are we? What are we talking about? Um, <laughs> she's talking about income, yeah, a basic um, income, minimum income. Yeah. If everybody I, had a I minimum think, income. I've, I've definitely seen, you know, there have been tests all over the world um, that have shown great, I mean, great results, you know, even outside of UBI, um, it just in, in the world of international aid, uh, researchers have found that the best way to help uh, a, a poor population is just to give them money. People spend money on necessities. They spend it on food, medical care. Uh, they spend it on uh, improving their lot, their tools, farm tractors, whatever. Um, Everything that pushes the economy versus giving it all oh, to yeah. the rich people. Yeah, but but it still concerns me that we're relying on a state to make this happen for us. But what you happens know, like, if we have a basic income, then we also can do the things you're talking about where we feel better to go camping with our friends, spend time with our family, do things that heal us. Um, so we're not, the focus is not on capitalism, but on um, uh, happiness. And I'm not talking about getting stoned and things like that. I'm talking about basically- hey, whatever makes you happy, man. Uh, I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm ignoring him. I, I'm talking about- a basic society, uh, a neighborhood where people work together, and it's just a whole different focus. That's what I think it is. The interesting uh, direction to take it is when when you do away with universal income, uh, but you also do away with uh, private capital in the sense that you don't have Jeff Bezos uh, owning, you know, a hundred and thirty billion dollars of a company. You have the Amazon employees owning the company. So that's the best gig economy, you know. Um, they have equity in the company, so their their uh, uh, efforts to produce, to, to do a good job, directly benefit themselves in, in terms of like a stock price or whatever. And then they can decide how to, to invest the dividends. You don't yeah. have to rely on a state. You know, if we have another Donald Trump, and that's going to happen, yeah. Um, yeah. that's going to be another character who's going to say, Oh, I'm going to control everyone by re removing this UBI, universal basic income, um, or, or or cut it. You know, the Republicans are always uh, threatening to cut Social Security. The best solution for that is is to invest in a in a Social Security that's more uh, community based, that's less reliant on the state. This is my opinion. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like I know that a lot of the objections, and you raised it slightly in in this idea of. I know we're getting a little bit off the gig economy, but this is all related, is saying, okay, you hate that the government is now giving or the source of this revenue. But on the other hand, if you were to just say, look, instead of having all of the existing social service programs and the associated bureaucracy and all of the corporate welfare and everything that the government's already spending, why not simply take that cash and divvy it up amongst folks? And I think you would find that they would make better decisions. So I sound like a Republican senator here, right? It's definitely a better system than what we have now, which is sort of king of the jungle. In fact, it's not even king of the jungle because you the 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 corporations have manipulated the state to actively help them. So Boeing is getting a lot more help 
during the pandemic than, you know, the the small mom and pop shops. Yeah, well, lots of small mom and pop shops aren't getting anything because they set it up. So you have to have uh, at least one employee that has a W-2 form. So so people like us can't even can't even get any assistance. All right. Well, I'm going to direct you back to the let's let's focus a little bit on the downside of being a gig employee. Um, you had mentioned basically you might be broke. I mean, that's an that's a bad side, <laughs> right? Um, because basically you're you're reliant upon the upside is you can earn as much as you can earn. The downside is you may not earn anything or yeah, earn but very what happens little. if your car breaks down and you you know that's Uber's not going to repair it for you? Right. You have no safety net. Yeah. All right. So what else, Ryan? Um, yeah, I mean, you're you're on the hook for your own health care. Um, and, and that's that's an ongoing conversation about whether uh, companies need to be uh, paying for their employees health care or if we should do some more centralized system. Um, just all the costs are yours. Um, mm-hmm. And especially the costs that a company would otherwise have to pay. Um, <clears throat> it's my perception that a lot of gig workers tend to be working for, you know, these online digital platforms like Uber, and or or uh, you know, a lot of people make money on YouTube or or you know, TikTok, whatever. Um, and there's a, the I think that one of the keys is that there's like a few very successful people, uh, especially on a, a lot of the media. Uh, uh, gigs, and then everyone wants to try doing it and find that they can't actually make it work. So anyway, so you have a single platform, right? You may have many clients, but you're still being mediated by one platform. Sure. And you know, Uber is is determining everything else other than your hours. Um, they're determining your pay. You know, there there was, you know, I think it was like a year or two ago. There was a big. Uh, uh, kerfuffle over Uber's decision to lower rates for drivers or something. So what used to be actually quite a lucrative job uh, uh, driving for a a ride service is now just a job. Um, Right. I saw somewhere that they average about nine and a half bucks an hour. Yeah. When you factor in, uh, you know, gasoline and maintenance, it's it's not that much money. It it is very low effort because you're, you know, sitting in a chair. But Driving is stressful, and uh, I'm not sure you could pay me $20 an hour to drive all day. Yeah, sure. plus it, the possibilities of accident and people hurting you. and Well, it also strikes me that this kind of setup, I mean, if you're in a formal Uber or something, that may be different. But as if you're a consultant, it may drive a lot of this economy off the books, so to speak, into the underground economy, I would imagine. Because I don't think a lot of these folks who get into this realize they're now on the hook for their own um, tax deductions and filings, their self-employment uh, tax. So they're paying, you know, both sides of the Social Security. And before they know it, you know, their 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 actual net income is down to next to nothing if if they follow all the rules. Yeah, the the financial uh, uh, and tax literacy is not good enough. I think there's there's a lot of ways to take advantage of it. As as I think you will be the first to to say, but I think a lot of these people that are driving, they're just trying to pay for student loans. They're trying to, um, you know, get out of their parents' house. They're trying to go to school, whatever. Um, and they're not going to be, you know, looking up tax loopholes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so let's move on to what you're planning to do. You, We know that you are planning to 
maybe somehow balance a bit in the gig economy, but to to have some future plans that move you beyond where you are. What, and and bear in mind, your current employer is not listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think in general, uh, the idea of a gig economy is it sounds pretty nice. Um, I've been moonlighting as a handyman. Um, over the past year and mostly just work for neighbors and things. Um, but that provides a little extra cash here and there. Um, I, I still want to limit my, my work, but, um, having an extra skill like that is it, that gives me a lot of security. And I think in the spirit of gigginess, um, I think a lot of people <laughs> should look to that, you know, people should learn more about uh, you know, electrical work. And and I don't mean try to impersonate an electrician because a lot of electricians are listening to this and saying like, you know, what is he implying that we should get an unlicensed amateurs out there? That's going to be ridiculous. <laughs> well, the um, electricians I, need to learn graphic design as well. Yeah, sure. I mean, well, it could be <laughs> handy for their business, certainly, you know, and it's a fallback if, if, you know, someone wants them to design a holiday card or something. But, uh, I think people should apprentice in situations like that. You know, I have had a, a pretty unconventional career path bouncing from farms to uh, uh, shop work, you know, as you know, in carpentry or handyman stuff to back to graphic design again, you know, which was my degree. Um, but my plan is to uh, try and try and do more farming in the future. And, and that's definitely a, I mean, you know, for better or worse, that's that's a gig economy. You know, it's seasonal. Um, but my my ultimate goal is to uh, at least run my own farm, whether or not I own it or rent it, because um, you know, leasing land is a, a you know popular option. But that's that's where I'm trying to go. I, I I just found that my my job isn't you know very satisfying. It's never been satisfying. I never wanted it, but it provided me security and helped me afford healthcare and you know, the other luxuries that I enjoy. And, uh, but I'm, I'm over that now, you know, I want to, I want to try to, I, I see farming as a way to affect positive change in the world. Um, as it's a great skill, you know, again, this is like a fallback skill for myself. You know, I can always make money on a farm. Um, even if it's not a lot, you know, it's something. At least you'll have something to eat. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> one of the things that occurs to me though, is that, um, you know, we often have interns that come here that are city boys and they want to be farmers. And I just wonder how you think that transition is going to work for you coming out of Oakland, California. I mean, I think it's going to be really difficult. Um, but we're, what we're seeing now is there is a pretty remarkable uh, proliferation of small farms in the past 10 years. And these are people that um, were professionals. Um, people that were in academia, some of them, um, people that haven't had a history in farming that just decided that the grind in the city uh, wasn't enough for them. I have a, I had a friend that I worked with in Chicago who told his partner, he said, um, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of driving a desk all day. Um, and I, I empathize with that now, you know, and he's running his own farm now. It's um, in Michigan. So what I was saying was, a lot of people are starting these small farms and it's they're they're producing high volume um mostly uh well a lot of them are split between CSAs and, and farmers markets um but they're growing soil super important right um, they're making an income and and a lot of these guys you know if you get really nerdy about it you can fuss over it you don't have to do a lot of backbreaking labor and you can still 
uh, in some places work, you know, six figure income out of it, you know, for you and a partner. So that's not, it's not, you know, blowing anyone's minds, but you can, you can raise a family with that. Okay. Well, Ryan, I'm going to, we'll, we'll talk about gig farms on another episode, but I'm going to cut you off. And I want to thank Ryan Evans for joining us. And uh, you have been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. We want to thank Ryan, and we want to thank our Emmy Award-winning producer, Adam Rich. And we want to thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others, clean up your own mess, and Jay, you better eat those veggies this week. Right, from our gig farm. Till next time, <laughs> bye-bye. Night, I know the stars are dancing in the firelight. Soon we'll be together, now we'll be revealed. Mother Earth will sing, and her children will be healed. See the Lord of glory, blossom in the night. Know the skies are dancing. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at BlueRockStation.com. Yeah.